0: My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up.
1: I'm Alison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Fromer, founder and editor-in-chief of The New Consumer, a publication about how and why people spend their time and money. Launched in 2019, the new consumer focuses on the most interesting and innovative companies, people, products, and trends, highlighting what's working and what isn't, why things are changing, and where things are going next. Dan has spent the past 15 years as a journalist covering business and technology. He was previously the editor-in-chief of Recode, a technology publication from Vox Media. In 2007, he helped start Silicon Alley Insider publication that became Business Insider. He's also been a reporter at Forbes and an editor at Quartz. Hi, Dan. Hi. <laughs> I am very excited to have you on the podcast. I have to say there's something about like interviewing the interviewer that, <laughs> that makes me feel for, like, very tingly. I'm very psyched. Um, Don't worry,
2: I'm going to flip it around <laughs> and interview you halfway through. So, we'll see. <laughs>
1: So, so welcome. Um, thank
2: you. I'm such a big fan.
1: Ah, thank you. I, that means a lot. When you said that you would listen to the podcast, I, I was kind of half thrilled and half like mortified at the same time. <laughs> like, what have I been asking? What you know, kind of going back through the last two years of where I really didn't know anything about this industry at all. Um, so the fact that you remain a fan after listening to a few episodes.
2: <laughs> I learned just, a lot is, from it.
1: Oh, thank you. That's nice. Um, so this is uh, the last episode of 2020. And um, I thought that it would be a great way to end the year, um, not talking to a founder, not talking to someone um, in marketing or legal um, but talking to someone like you, who you know has your eye on the whole ecosystem, and uh, is able to sort of extract and you know predict a little bit, um, sort of a consumer behavior, the massive shifts that have happened in 2020, um, but specifically for for the people that listen to in the sauce, where you see opportunities for those of us who are trying to build consumer brands. Um, in, in this kooky time. Um, and so I'm thrilled you're here. Um, and I guess I'd love to just get started, you know, as, as interested as I am in what you were like as a kid, the reality is, is that I'd rather just kind of get down to brass tacks and hear, you know, how you kind of, how you took 2020 and tried to contextualize it and synthesize it and, and what that looked like for you.
2: Great. Well, thank you again for having me on the show. Uh, again, a huge fan. And um, this is this is a treat for me. So Yay. Um, I mean, as is I think very obvious, this was a wild year. I think kooky was the word you used. That was a great <laughs> word for it. Um, you know, every year is is unique and perhaps like unlike any year that's come before it, but this one truly, just like everything felt like it was flipped upside down and um, I had a feeling something was going to be different this year, but obviously no one (laughs) could have predicted what happened. And, um, you know, for those just waking up now from a a long slumber, the the biggest story obviously this year was the COVID-19 pandemic, which, you know, kind of started literally at the end of last year Mm -hmm. um, and didn't really change too much in the U.S. until the middle of March. Yeah. Um. You know, January and February, we were kind of squinting overseas and seeing what's going on in the in the distant, uh, distant lands over there. And then all of a sudden, uh, middle of March rolls around and a switch flips in the U.S. Yeah. Um. You know, the basketball stops, schools close, travel collapses. All of these things happen. Um. And that obviously had huge and profound effects on the way that people lived this year, the way that people spent money. Uh, and, you know, my job, I, uh, you, you got my background, right? I've been covering <laughs> the technology and specifically the, the business and financial side of technology for about 15 years. Um, oh, yeah. Exactly. In fact, and my career, I've always been interested in, you know, sure, the technology itself, but more what, what effects does technology have on business and society? And mm-hmm. I had been writing mostly about Apple actually, uh, and, you know, and then running websites as the editor in chief, but I was also love starting new media brands. And I had, I have been, um, you know, my, my whole life, the, the kind of guy who, if I, if I have an hour to kill, i um, I'll be at the grocery store. You can right. find me. You know, you're my kind the of person. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we are the grocery uh,
1: people. We are. We are a, a definite little subset crew. It's
2: totally. Of, yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever city I'm in, I just want to see what's going on in the grocery mm-hmm. store. So, mm-hmm. I had, um, you know, I, I'd also seen the the rise of this indie publisher thing, collecting some steam. Um, I had actually started a bunch of. News publications in my career, including Business Insider, but right. then also a, uh, an indie publication in 2011 that was kind of running on advertising, and that's not such a great model for indie publishing. But mm-hmm. this subscription newsletter thing was picking up some steam four or five years ago, and um, and more recently in the last couple of years, of course, we we hear a lot about the, the Substacks of the world, but. Um, about two years ago, I, I left my corporate job and I set out to start this new publication called The New Consumer mm-hmm. because I'd seen technology really changing the way that brands were had been created and the way products were being built and the way audiences and communities were being built. And I wasn't reading the kind of articles I wanted to be reading about right. these companies. I thought they were so interesting. And you've you've interviewed many of the founders on this show. Um, but there's just such an interesting dynamic in this this world of modern consumer brands and consumer packaged goods and anyway, so that was that was the genesis for for starting the new consumer. Um, I'd love if you checked it out newconsumer.com. and in fact, um, you know probably the reason we're talking now is that I've just wrapped up this massive massive project that I've spent the last few months working on with uh, an investment firm in New York called coefficient capital and Uh, It's it's essentially a a hundred page slide deck called consumer trends, um, taking a look at the the things that that changed profoundly this year because of the pandemic, and also what we think are going to be some of the things that stick around um, that people actually prefer and and they like that they've that they've you know even though this has been such a a hard year and and a sad year and uh, you know and a a, a year that we we really don't want to relive. There right. are some things that that we've kind of learned or or adopted this year that we're like, oh, huh, maybe I'll keep doing that. So yeah, that, that's kind of the 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 point of this report. Uh, it's free. Go check it out. newconsumer.com slash trends. And um, you know, and, and maybe we can start with the biggest one. I guess that affects all of us, which is this this shift to online grocery that started this year. The yeah. grocery obviously this massive, massive industry, I think a trillion dollars in the U.S., but growing very slowly, growing like 2% a year. And online had kind of, you know, taken a little bit of the market, like 4% or something like that. Totally different than other fields where e-commerce is, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the, of the business. Um, but all of a sudden, COVID happens. And you know online grocery as i like to say went from a convenience to essential infrastructure overnight it yeah. was you know again i talk about this switch flipping there were many switches flipped this year and one of them <laughs> was, was to online grocery and
1: so one i just want to ask you one question because please. i am like you i am a die hard grocery person i love tootling in the store i love discovering new packaging new products i love the shelves. To me, it's like candy land. Um, And I've been having, you know, debates with people. I'm also a Luddite in a lot of ways. And, you know, I mean, I had a brick and mortar business, you know, for years before we got into the sauces, as you know. And, you know, I've been having this sort of debate with um, people about, you know, someone at some point a couple of years ago was like, no one's ever going into a grocery store again. You know, and I was like, that's just... Wrong. Um, but, you know, when you say um, kind of grocery moving online, are we talking about all of everything from a Fresh Direct to an Instacart to a Kroger.com, including the brands themselves, like D2C? Or do you kind of separate out? Because, like, for a brand like mine, I'll just be very, I wasn't going to build out a D2C channel until March of this year. Um, And now I just deem it as necessary, but there are, I think a lot of refrigerated and frozen brands that are, it's more challenging. And so the question is, is it enough for us to lean into the e-tailers of the world and the online versions of the big, our big retail partners, or do you mean, you know, is there a piece of it that's just like table stakes, you have to have a direct channel.
2: To me, this is the most interesting thing about this transition. It's not just, okay, one one month I'm buying all my groceries from the store, and then the next month I'm buying all my groceries from the store, but through a website. Right. That's not that's not what we're seeing, and mm-hmm. that's not what we're seeing on a mass level. And then I actually went through all of my credit card statements for the last two years <laughs> in extreme detail and charted <laughs> out my personal spending, which that's is much crazier right. than The average consumer, of course. Yeah. But that's that's like my favorite chart that I've made in in a long time. It's wild the way that my the way that my spending changed. So as money heads online, almost all the time it changes targets. You know, Mm -hmm. you didn't Amazon won online book selling. It wasn't Barnesandnoble.com, it wasn't you know Crocs and Brentano's, the great stores that we used to go to. It was a new a new entrant because they did things differently and they did things, frankly, better um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that, that w- was better for consumers. And so, you know, people voted with their money and, and Amazon won. Um, we're seeing that in grocery as money heads online. It's not just going to the websites of the grocery stores. And in most cases, they don't have a website, but they use Instacart or something like that. It's not a situation where 100 percent of that money is going to Instacart. It's going to entirely new businesses that were created for the internet, such as Thrive Market or Good Eggs or Imperfect Foods or companies like that. Those are, you know, kind of what I call it, a digital native grocer. It is also going to Instacart. Instacart had a massive, massive year. They went from something like 70,000 of their in-store shoppers last year to almost half a million this year. Wow. Just a a huge year. Yeah. Yeah. but then it's also going to direct consumer brands. At at one point, I was spending fifteen percent of my grocery spending on a monthly basis directly with brands, and yeah. that's everything from you know, Omsam sauces, which I love, to I was yeah. ordering uh, seltzer water from Ugly. I was ordering all kinds of stuff, uh, Magic Spoon cereal. They've all been like, on the show. <laughs> they've all I been on that. the show. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about that is that. Yes, I'm. I'm uh, certainly an early adopter of that kind of behavior, although not really. Like, I think uh, something like twenty percent of our our survey respondents. And one of the great things about this report that we just did is we just did a survey with three thousand five hundred U.S. consumers, which is wow. a big panel. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of those people also prefer buying direct to consumer, and the the implications of that are, are astounding. One of which is like when you. When you remember how large this industry is—a trillion dollars a year—fifteen percent of that is a hundred and fifty billion dollars a year, just yeah. in the U.S. That that new brands um, can tap into. So, to answer your earlier question, is it table stakes to have a direct consumer presence? Yes. I would say yes. It's a little hard to say because <laughs> there is, you know, especially for a refrigerated or frozen mm-hmm. product, you know. It's, talking to a friend last week whose big project for the year is taking his re- refrigerated beverage brand and making it shelf stable. Right, um, right. it's it's tricky. And but I would say yes, kind right. of like it, it 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 certainly is important if you're going to be building a community online, which you should be. If you're right. going to be doing all these other things online, which you should be, it's certainly helps if you can also sell the product with one click to the, to the person Mm -hmm. and get it in front of them as quickly as possible. They may then decide, okay, I loved ordering this directly from you, but But I'm I'm going to buy it from the store or from Instacart because it's more convenient or because it is refrigerated and they don't like this box, this huge styrofoam Mm -hmm. box uh, full of dry ice or whatever it is. But you know, the, re- reducing that friction and making it as easy as possible for a consumer, especially one who is now very comfortable buying all kinds of stuff online this year that no one ever thought they would buy online before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, to me is is a, is an easy yes. And then, you know, a, a, and then there are so many other implications of this. And, you know, we can we can talk about them, but I, I don't want to ramble too long. I'll let you <laughs> I'll let you ask the next one. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I think it's interesting because I, you know, I, I got an email from one of my investors over the weekend, just saying, are you aware um, that it's 69, you know, whatever dollars um, on your website to buy a case of sauce? And I said, "Uh uh-huh, you know, (laughs) I am. And, um, you know, he said, I just, who, why would anyone do that? Like, it's, it's more than if you're just buying six sauces, at the store around the corner. And I, and I actually sort of without referencing it directly referenced your, I keep thinking of it as a manifesto, even though it's not <laughs> a manifesto, cause it's not, you know, you're not like putting out there, you're not Jerry Maguire, but it is, it's fascinating research. And I actually enumerated sort of, they, they they're willing to spend a little bit more to feel connected to the brand to have the assortment that they want, which is not available at every store, to have some sort of accountability from a, you know, CX or a customer service perspective. Uh, they feel community, you know, like they're willing, the consumer at this point understands shipping and refrigerated, you know, two-day shipping is expensive. They might not necessarily buy their sauce this way all the time. Um, And as long as we're not losing money on that first purchase, then, you know, I'm comfortable with it. Um, But it was really a way, like the way that you sort of contextualized why, because you said 20% of consumers are now saying not only that they buy directly online, but they prefer to buy directly from a brand. That's, that's amazing to me. I mean, I, I, I would not have thought it was that much. Um, and those are the reasons why. And I think that's, I mean, I, I'd love your thoughts about that. But is that going to stick, do you think? I mean, there, you think that's just, is that is that the way it is? And so we all better be leaning hard into that community building, that customer experience piece, that, you know, that accountability, all all of the things that make people decide to buy through that channel that are separate from price.
2: Yeah, and in fact, I'm looking at this slide now. Um, about twenty percent prefer to buy food and beverages DTC. The reasons that they cite are better quality, better selection, better customer service, personalization, and feeling as part of a brand community, right. uh, kind of in that order. Well, you know, it's so hard to say. Oh, yeah, this is going to be the way it is for the next ten years. It really depends. I mean, you know, let's see what happens with this vaccine. I've already shifted about half of my spending back to physical grocery stores. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, as I've become more comfortable going in the store and and actually moved, I moved from New York to L.A. in July, and so there's a store here that I love going to that doesn't Mm. sell online. So there, everybody has their own situation, but I would say. You know, in terms of spending seventy dollars on sauce, there's there's a few other parts of the equation that are new. One is that everybody is buying as if they're running a small restaurant now. (laughs) Um, And actually, you know, even even normal times, people spend a lot more money on an online grocery purchase than they spend in store, and they do it less frequently. So people are are stocking up, and they're doing it less frequently. You know, some sometimes to hit the free shipping limit or something like that, but in my case, I'm buying essentially, you know, the the residential equivalent of a pallet of whatever I can get because <laughs> I'm I'm cooking, you know, 15 meals a week in this house yeah. basically for for two people and a dog, and that means I'll just buy the case of macaroni and cheese, and right. you know, just g- give me 12 of them. I'm not going to worry about two of them. Give me a case of canned dolma or whatever mm-hmm. you know, whatever we're buying. Um, so when I buy a, a direct consumer package of sauces and it's $40 or $60 or whatever. I'm not thinking about that in terms of, oh man, that's a lot, you know, for sauce. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get like 10 good meals out of this. That's $4 a meal. The other thing is that I'm not spending thousands of dollars on restaurants the way I was, um, which is sad because I really wish that I could be because I really miss restaurants. But if you think of, how much less money you're spending to cook at home versus, you know, the sure I'll upgrade the sauce. I'll upgrade the protein. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll go all organic because I'm still spending, I don't know, half the money I was on food last year because I'm not traveling. I'm not going to restaurants. And I, you know, I, I have hobbies of of eating that many people don't. Um, I I don't consider myself the average consumer, but at any rate, I think those, I think those equations are happening. And therefore, especially if you're feeding a family of four people, like just load it up, fill up the fridge, fill mm-hmm. up the freezer. Um, you know, they're, they're, that becomes a challenge for some companies. If you go back and listen to the last Beyond Meat earnings call, right. they were they were <laughs> doing so well because people were just buying everything they could buy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, people were actually eating through their stock of right. our exactly. products in their freezers over the summer. Yeah, uh, over the over the early fall, we'll it's see. It's like when so,
1: they when UNFI buys up, and you're like, "Yay!" And then yeah. like you're like, "Oh wait," you know, they were they were loading on the OI. right sell yeah. in
2: versus sell through. Now exactly. we have to worry about uh, freezer freezer cook through or something <laughs> like that.
1: Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about all of the other things you discovered in your um, big report and how it's going to help uh, founders like me.
0: My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com.
1: I'm back with Dan Fromer, founder and editor-in-chief of The New Consumer. So we've gotten to, you know, this this massive report for 3,500 consumers. Um, We know one thing, that people are more comfortable buying food and beverage in their pajamas on their couch than they ever were, and that a lot of that is sticking because they're enjoying it. Um, And then uh, one of the other things that you wrote in there, which I, I, would love to like, have you explain a little bit more Is you, you said something about crisis in brand and product discovery as grocery moves online. Um, what did you mean by that? Well,
2: the, the truth is that shopping online for groceries is just different. It's a totally different experience. It's a, you know imagine what you would call the user interface of a grocery store you, you enter the store you're wandering around you you kind of have a list of things that you know you want to buy but you also know that there's going to be some things you didn't know that you want to buy you're seeing mm-hmm. beautiful bright packaging you're seeing the thing that's sitting next to the thing that you came into the store for yeah um, there's so many elements of product and brand discovery not to mention you know at tastings and activations and all those things from the before times that we kind of don't have right now. Um, but especially a grocery store where there's just such a density to the products available on the shelves and such a variety, it's very easy to go in for one thing and then spend $60 mm-hmm. on, you know, and this is my old uh, Manhattan math when I was, when I could basically shop until I couldn't hold the basket with one hand anymore. Right. And then I knew, okay, uh-huh. this is all I can get on the subway. Yeah. Um, here in LA, I have a, a car now, so you know there's no there's no end to how much grocery shopping I can do it in one sitting. Um, so that just doesn't happen online, right? You right. you you go on to whatever site you use. I use a bunch of them, and actually, what we found is that something like forty percent of our survey respondents uh, and me. Start their order with their previous order. Just yeah. go through. Okay, I need the arugula again. I need the cottage cheese. I need yeah. the limes. I need the shallots. And it's actually very funny. Amazon has this page of all the things that you've bought. Yeah. And it's something like, it's almost shaming me. It's like shallots bought 66 times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. oh, well, well, I guess I did. And I ate them all. They were delicious. Yeah. But anyway, so that whole process of discovery is just totally different. And really, you know, and I get it. A lot of these stores were in such a hurry to get their inventory online, but there's just a lot of stuff that hasn't been added yet. You know, I I, I need to buy lemongrass all the time and it's just not in this online store. It drives me crazy. So, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a crisis here, a crisis for brands and, and, you know, and honestly for consumers too, because it's very hard to find new things online mm-hmm. yeah. the way that things are currently built. Now, the good news is that tech companies have kind of solved this problem already, just not for grocery shopping yet. It's mm-hmm. actually also very easy to discover things online that you had no idea existed in the real world. And right. the beautiful thing about an online grocery store is that every single store can be personalized to that person. So if I say I'm celiac, I will never have to see a gluten. Item in my life if I don't you know, want to if yeah. they if they allow me to have that feature or you know they could very easily recommend things to you from one section of the store that would have been an entirely different part of you know the experience yeah. that is right there and in, in, in your case and, and and some of this is editorial or product and some of this is advertising product essentially but if I buy I don't know a ribeye or something like that they yeah. should be selling me some
1: chimichurri, some yeah. chimichurri.
2: exactly yeah. totally. Um, and that is something that, yeah, I suppose, and I've heard, maybe it was even on the show, someone saying that they put the uh, the charcoal briquettes in the fridge next to the meat or something <laughs> like that once just to see if they can get more people grilling. That doesn't make any sense, but, right. uh, but maybe it does. I don't know. And maybe that's right. the thing that online grocery unlocks is all of a sudden, hey, uh, you just bought this thing. Here's 12 things you've never heard of that we know that you've never bought because we know everything you've right. ever bought. At, take a look at them. So I say it's a crisis now. It's a massive opportunity. It's going to yeah. be fascinating to see the user interfaces, the recommendation algorithms that come out of this. And then I would also say like, okay, well, that's that's cool. But then uh, weren't we really mad at Facebook for, you know, yep. getting uh, into our lives letting, and knowing you know, everything about us, rooting yeah. our lives or something <laughs> like that. All of a sudden, what, you know, what if we're in a position where, the Instacart algorithm is dictating what people eat. And all of a sudden, you know, we're all, you know, Mm -hmm. we, everybody gains 10 pounds because it's the candy companies that have all the advertising money, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Not hard actually to imagine problems coming out of those things. So I hope those companies are, you know, that's a great investigation for me for next year is like, how how are they kind of making sure that, uh, that, that their recommendations are, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, should they be promoting healthy eating or not? I don't know. I think that's that's something that every company will, will have to decide on their own, but perhaps, again, a market opening for a company that, that doesn't sell crap on their website.
1: Right. Well, I think also, you know, I, I'm obviously reading this through the lens of me, right? And I took two things away from that. One is got to get into the carts. And we've had a really great run with Fresh Direct from the beginning. They were, you know, they and Amazon were our first accounts. And, you know, my my, my team, actually the two people that are now sort of like the leadership of my team actually came from Fresh Direct. Um, so I learned that pretty early from them. Just, you know, it's worth spending to get into people's carts early um, because once you're in their cart, you're kind of there. And it just makes it a lot easier for them. So for people, you know, I've gotten so many calls, I'm sure, you know, in the last couple of weeks about how much are you putting in Instacart? Are you advertising on Instacart? And I would say, Instacart keywords all day, every day. Like, Mm. it's for me, just like an absolute no brainer. um, Because I want to get into, and by the way, we started on Instacart in August. And I think, our Wegman sales, or something like five hundred and eighty percent, or something like that, in crazy, um, amazing. So you know that is number one, but number two, and this is a little bit of a finer point, which maybe I'm getting a little too wonky about, but for me, as like I think this is a brand, safe space for wonky, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's also MySpace. So if you guys yes. think it's wonky, then you can just mute for a few minutes or whatever. But I do think that you know, as I'm putting together sort of decks for my buyers at the various um, at the various big retailers, you know, talking about how do they keep share away from some of these e-commerce, you know, um, online groceries who are very good at bundling things that are from all different parts of the store in one really beautiful looking one click and you can buy it all. How did they transform the grocery store from, I'm running from the far left aisle of meat to the far right aisle of broccoli down to the dairy area. And how do they kind of reimagine the grocery store in a way that really suits the consumer, the way that they're shopping now and how, and this is where it gets wonky, you as a brand speaking to your buyer can help them solve that problem. Like, what are you bringing? You know, in our case, we're very much like, people are going to order mac and cheese, beans, and toilet paper from wherever they can on their couch. Why are they still coming into the grocery store to buy fresh? and so our position is you know let's move it away from commodity fresh you know have that sure but also have things that enhance meals that make dinner better all of that stuff um so i think you know this information is is interesting the the fact that people buy differently and that that's going to start affecting the way that they're that they're looking at grocery stores or what they're wanting from grocery stores is a big opportunity for brands like mine to, to really come in with conviction and an opinion about our categories.
2: I love it. I mean, and then also think, okay, if 10, 20% of the grocery shopping is happening online, what, what does the store need to be like? to right. excite people, to keep them coming in. You know, it, it, are we looking at a future where every store is more like Italy and perhaps, you know, your sauce is being prepared at one of the little restaurant stations there and that's the entertainment that people are getting when they come in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many kind of second and third degree, oh, that could change completely if, you know, mm-hmm. if, if this trend sticks and if right. people keep doing this. And that's, you know, so we'll see.
1: So let's talk a little bit, I love this, I I love that you called it this, and I would like to just, I don't know, put this on a t-shirt or something, but the great unbundling, (laughs) right? So um, what do you mean by the great unbundling? And again, how does a brand, like an emerging brand like mine, leverage that? Because, And I want to do sort of one, I I didn't make it clear at the beginning, I just want to sort of caveat, I know that this goes without saying, but... COVID is obviously horrible and it's been a horrible year. And this isn't to sort of say, how do we turn this into an opportunity and how do we sort of like leverage it to our benefit? But it's more that, you know, I see my job as protecting my team and also to some extent protecting my friends that are listening to this, who are building emerging brands. And if they're, you know, if if I can help, kind of stop us from getting clobbered and keep jobs and keep people well-fed, um, then that's kind of what I mean by leverage. I don't ever want it to sound like I'm being cavalier without um, yeah, a pandemic, it, you know.
2: It's complicated. You know, it's a terrible time and a lot of people are are having a, a, a really rough time. Um, but you're also providing nutrition and joy yes. to a lot of people as well mm-hmm. and jobs. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's... Life is right. life is weird and and complicated.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So the great unbundling is, it's it's happening in in a few different ways, but generally it kind of what we're studying is as spending heads online, regardless of category, is it changing its channel? So is it changing? You know the type of merchant that you're purchasing from? Is it going to a, you know, is it, is it remaining with it? Well, okay. So is it changing channel? And then is it changing brand? And it can mm-hmm. change channel without changing brand. If you go from buying at the Apple store to buying at apple.com, you know, you've changed right. channel, but you haven't changed brand. It can also change both. It can change neither. It can change one or the other. So, right. um, what we're looking at is essentially, you know, and, and this, this kind of shift to online spending is, is also can be substituted with any number of other societal changes or, or habit changes or whatever that, that we want to study. But specifically we were looking at as money heads online in large part, kind of accelerated by COVID pandemic, how is it unbundled, um, across channels and, and brands and, You know, one of the interesting categories, we we could talk about grocery for the rest of our lives, Mm So one of the other interesting categories is fitness. You know, uh, people, especially in, you know, in in New York and LA and big cities spend a lot of money on gym memberships. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the, again, one of the kind of really weird, but real realities of of this pandemic was that a, a lot of things were being closed for very, very like organic, uh, reasons like could your body could not be next to another person's body mm-hmm. while they were exhaling things right. like that that just don't really factor into any planning process of, you know, yeah, of any business right. plan except for like the most remote of contingency plans so anyway so as as fitness money heads online is it going to peloton. equinox.com <laughs> it's not it's going to right. peloton and right. to online yoga classes and all sorts of different places. So, you know, I, I was talking to um, the the founder of Hodinki, one of my favorite mm-hmm. publications about the watch industry. And he said, one of the things that's benefited our industry is the unbundling of eBay. So e- that money right. was already online, but it was further specializing as it went from, you know, one big, one big st- store, eBay, I guess if you can call it a store mm-hmm. um, to all these other stores. Forums and 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 e-commerce stores and places where people were buying and selling vintage watches. We right. see this in a lot of industries, and it's fascinating. Of course, there's also rebundling, right? I was going to say, yeah, uh-huh.
1: Um,
2: and Amazon, in fact, one of the one of the slides that that I think is most interesting from this report actually shows that Amazon's proportion of total consumer spending has increased this year. I think yeah. that makes sense. Um, you know, and even they had a lot of problems with uh, fulfillment. They had to prioritize certain orders and kind of delay other people's orders. Yeah. I, I think a lot of that has caught up by now, although it's still very hard for me to order gloves, but that's probably a different problem. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, there's, there's great food supply gloves. Yes. Um, I don't like touching raw chicken. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I Um, hear you. And the thing is beets also. I really love beets. beets And I don't don't want my hands to be pink. I just yeah, Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah. Uh, Pomegranates also.
1: Here's here's a sort of big, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like uh, when you talk about unbundling and then you bring up eBay, I think of, you know, I was around when eBay kind of made this swoop of all of these they kind of aggregated, right. To the extent that whether it's rebundling or aggregating or consolidating, whatever, do you think it's kind of like a, um, almost like a, a sunrise and sunset? Like, do you think the world of consumer just goes from like aggregating to unbundling back to aggregating back to unbundling? Like, The indies people like variety and then they then they tip and then they sort of want a one stop shop convenience. And then that feels starts to feel sort of big brothery. So they they start spreading out again and then someone figures it out. Like if you took sort of like a big high up view of the whole thing, is there is there a trend to that that you've watched over the years? Does that make sense? It makes
2: sense. I think it's always kind of pulsating if we want to call Mm -hmm. it that. I mean, and this is a huge planet in a big country with a lot of people in it. So everybody's kind of on their own path. And, you know, uh, maybe five people are really mad at Amazon right now and five other people have just discovered it for the first time. So they're
1: (laughs) they're blown away
2: by the fact that they can, you know, order. I I broke my favorite uh, ceramic knife last night uh, cutting something and, and one by this morning right. yeah. it had been replaced with an identical one. That's crazy. So yeah, pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> so th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of changes happening all the time. And, um, at the, on the other hand, if you zoom out all the way, there's of course a trend line, like things are heading in, in a direction. And I would say right now the trend is things are going online. Mm-hmm. So that will benefit The companies that do online the best, which could be the best fulfillment. It could be the best discovery. It could be the best navigation. It could be the best selection. It could be the best customer service. It could be, you know, a combination of a lot of those things, the best story. People are really interested in story now. Mm -hmm. People want to know that they're buying from brands that they can kind of make as part of their identity. Uh, A lot of that, I think, comes from the Instagram era where you, of course, have to. Take, post a picture of everything you do that's interesting right. so that people <laughs> marvel at your interestingness. Although yeah. even that perhaps has had a big pullback this year because you don't want to be interesting this year. You want to mm-hmm. be, you know, whatever it is. So um, things are always changing. And I would say that, you know, if, for a brand, uh, there's no like playbook that you must do that will be right. a guaranteed picture. I would say, you know, be you the best you can, whatever that means, uh, build a community, get, you know, find your, your favorite customers and, and help them, uh, be ambassadors and just keep making great product. And, you know, and and there's so many, you know, you know, all the, all the levers of running a business. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's so much, but, um, you know, now I think is a Especially coming out of this year, you know, the the vaccine news has been good so far. We'll see what it looks like. But I think now people are starting to look forward to, uh, you know, perhaps being able to do something a little different next year, whether that is travel Travel. again Mm -hmm. or, you know, throw a dinner party. Um, Although I think some people have been doing that, even though they shouldn't have. (laughs) I mean, we had some great outdoor dinner parties this year. Um, so I think that the vibe right now to me feels like one where I think it's okay to be a little promotional and not Mm -hmm. be so reserved and, you know, and, and get on the good side of people's anticipation. And it's not like March and April where if you didn't have something useful to say, you should just shut up. Now, I think, I think it's okay now to kind of get people excited about things and uh you know and be out there a little bit
1: right and i think you know again sort of for for the founders and you know for those of us sort of in you know we had we i, I think you know this like we went global with whole foods the week of april 4th it, it was literally like right. right in the middle of it and we weren't even sure our product was going to get onto shelves across the country and our plan was you know. A, a, Ton of demos like everywhere, and so we all kind of looked at each other like, uh, you know, like, okay, first of all, let's hope it gets to Alabama and Sacramento and Bloomfield Hills. But, um, if it does get there, how on earth are people going to know to pick it up? I mean, if people are even in the stores, like, we were just genuinely sort of a little gobsmacked by the whole thing. Um, but I think what you're talking about is actually really fascinating from our perspective because it, what ended up happening was this window opened and I feel like the great unbundling is creating this window. Um, And, you know, first of all, the window that people are willing to try new things, that there was sort of this open to um, open to new brands and, 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 you know, new products that, hadn't really been there as much before, which you talk about in the manifesto, for lack of a better word. And I think also just like we were not planning on doing anything digitally for some time, but reaching people digitally and getting good at sort of explaining what the product was actually was very helpful. And I would venture to say that while demos might be a part of our future, they're not going to be anywhere close to a part of what we thought our future was going to be because digital ads really work. Even when you're not able to track them exactly because we were obviously not sending people to our homepage, we were sending people to the store locator for whether we were sending them to Whole Foods in Sacramento or Whole Foods in whatever. We did see a correlation between the regions where we ran those ads and sales. Um, and so I think part of this is, you know, that, that this, this unbundling thing is an opportunity for small brands. We just have to find the little cracks and kind of stick our feet in and then try to wedge them open a little bit because it has created cracks.
2: Absolutely. And, yeah. and a lot of things kind of point to that. One is that people were, you know, people were actually in many ways, forced to adopt new, to try new brands and adopt new habits, but right. but people are also very open to it. You know, we looked at a, a field like beauty and skincare, and younger generations use more brands than older generations, mm-hmm. and and it's interesting. And they and they use different brands than even even the Gen Z uh, audience uses different brands than the millennial audience, but mm-hmm. they they all use more brands, and I think that's because people are looking for specialization they're also mm-hmm. open to new ideas and um you know and, and if and to me like this is one of the, the major major stories of our lifetime Is like technology is going to make it so that we can invent new things that are better than what we had before than what we inherited so perhaps yes perhaps that brand was around a hundred years ago but who cares when this new one works five times better for the same price or right. whatever it is or or it can be made 20% of the, of the cost, uh, there, you know, there's so many different things, or perhaps it really, really, really works well on, you know, your, uh, your, your, your hands, but maybe not your, your face. I don't know, whatever it is, right. people are, are looking for specialization, but I think, you know, in your case, for example, this is, uh, a, a sauce that people don't have to, you know, add water to and mix right. and, and, tastes like the inside of a cardboard box. Like Mm -hmm. this is your, it's a highly specialized thing that people can just grab and use. And I think people are comfortable now with the idea of of buying things that are, are specially designed for, for almost niche activities, but are making that more and more part of their identity and there is this culture of, uh, of discovery and recommendation, I think, and, and curation that people are, are curious about and interested in. I think the internet has just made it so that people are just aware of more things in general, and it's just super fascinating how that's going to continue to play out. So, um, you know, it, there there is rebundling too. We we see this, but right. um, you know, we talk to we talk to people about how. They've switched to working out at home this year, Mm -hmm. Um, fitness, you know, either just running more or using a Peloton or something like that. And 80% of millennials say they prefer it. They actually like it more. So, you know, they weren't planning on living this way this year. Nobody was. But in some ways, people actually like certain elements of it more and and therefore probably will continue it.
1: And so when you're talking a little bit about, you know, people – are open to trying new things, but they also like specialization and they use more brands than past generations. Does that um, Does that mean that there might be less brand loyalty, or do you think that there is loyalty? They're just loyal to six brands, not not one kind of thing.
2: Excellent question, worth I would say studying in depth. Um, I would say that. There's probably, I would say that loyalty is probably lower. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd love to actually do the research on that. I would say that people are probably more interested in novelty because there is choice. I mean, think about the beverage section. And I wrote a piece a few, like two months ago, I think, about my love for the Erwan beverage cooler (laughs) in in LA here where we have... I think it was 450 different beverages on yeah, display. Yeah, um, You know, yeah, I'm still probably buying the majority of my... I'm, I'm also a uh, trouble seltzer water drinker. Like, it's just <laughs> kind of incurable problem I have. Um, you know, I, I still am buying mostly LaCroix, but I'm sampling a lot of different stuff. You know, yep. we're trying... Every new brand we see, some of it's better. Some of it we continue to buy. A lot of it's worse, and we only buy once. Um, I I think there's just generally like a a stronger culture of experimentation now and specialization. I did this piece earlier this year which um, is free. Anyone can read it on my site about natural deodorant and just why there's so many natural deodorant brands yeah. right now. Yeah. And that's another one where it's just like there's, it's like a playground of brands that have launched over the last few years. Right. And it's almost as if there's one for everybody. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. And I think um, it's, it, I, I just, I had the founders of Sagely Naturals on a couple of weeks ago and I keep going back to them because they're a CBD brand. I I, I oh, yeah, hadn't cool. heard of it, but she was basically saying that um, you know they have they're in Ulta Beauty, they're in Walgreens Drug, they're in Sprouts, and a couple of other grocery, um, and they're online. And I don't know very many products that are just in all basically every channel like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were saying that you know while people might not necessarily that it all is feeding everything else and that at this point the way that they see Walgreens for instance is almost like a billboard you know that it it's not necessarily that everyone's buying it at Walgreens because they might be buying it you know in other ways but that having the presence at Walgreens gives it validation and because there are so many CBD brands out there and you really have no idea what the heck you're getting because they're all over the place and everyone's got one, that this gives them some cred. You know, to just having the, the slots at Walgreens is a vote of confidence from someone who is doing their homework. And I think that's similar to an one right? If you've made it onto that shelf, even if you're not turning a ton, obviously that's not great from like just a keeping your one, keeping you perspective, but it's, it's sort of like a vote of approval because there are more beverage brands every day. Um, and it's never been easier to kind of create a brand and a product, you know, maybe it's getting harder now, but the last couple of years, everyone and their mother has a something and they're just making Instagram ads for it, you know?
2: That's super fascinating. That's almost the exact same thing I heard from one of the natural deodorant founders too. He was very excited to be in a store. And of course, I don't remember the store, so maybe, right. <laughs> maybe it proves a different point. But it was, you know, oh, it's, uh, you know, it, maybe it was Credo. It's like, we want to be on the shelf at Credo because it proves that we're natural. We want to mm-hmm. be on the shelf at uh, at this other place because it proves that we're luxury. and. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Is that founder psychiatry, uh, psychology, or is that actually work for consumers too? I suppose it's nice to be, you know, if you wander into the goop store at Brentwood Country Mart, like, yeah, I think you might be impressed by some of the brands that are there or something like that. It well, makes sense. Yeah, and
1: it, and it registers to you. I mean, I guess yeah. my point is like, every, you can, I could be running this sauce company out of my basement and buy, you know, a ton of Instagram ads and be shipping sauce all over the place, but you know the fact that you see me at Whole Foods means that it's a real company. <laughs>
2: and that there's totally,
1: like yeah. there's probably some safety standards and things like that. You know, and well, so, and so I wanna, yeah,
2: I, I want to ask you something because sure. you know one of the, one of the things that comes to mind for me is how do you stay relevant in this era? You know, people are constantly if if people's uh, lives are being driven by experimentation and um, you know, and perhaps if loyalty declines mm-hmm. at some point, um, how much pressure do you feel to keep launching new things just for the sake of newness? I see this in a lot of these direct-to-consumer, kind of modern consumer, especially food and beverage brands, where there's always a seasonal flavor, that mm-hmm. sometimes even monthly. Um, do you feel pressure to do that or, or not really?
1: Um, I do, but... So um, there's a lot of research into sort of where consumers fatigue and it's generally at like eight SKUs, right? That like if, if you've mm-hmm. got more than eight, people just start to get glazed over and they just pull away. Interesting. So um, for me, my job is to make sure that those eight are all super productive and working really hard and maybe different stores have different skews depending on what works for them or different regions have different skews depending on, you know, what their tastes are. Um, but the pressure I think to innovate is real. Unfortunately, I think, and this is going to maybe be a little hardcore, but I think it's a little bit of a tech mentality and I don't think it really accounts for the clunkiness of a physical product with ingredients and the labor. So I, I, I would say to stay away from, you know, again, beverages may be fine, maybe like a pumpkin spice yogurt, or, but I, I think, say, you know,
2: if you have a pumpkin spice sauce for me right now. Yeah, I mean,
1: what John Lawson, who is the head of grocery for Whole Foods Northeast said to me very early on when I was like, I want to do a cranberry. He was like, why would you spend all of that doing a cranberry when instead you should be making a lot of content showing people how to use chimichurri at Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah. True. And I
1: think it's a really good point. Um, that being said, of course, there's like there is pressure to innovate and what have you got? But I think there's a lot of research about, you know, take Cholula, who just sold for what, 8x? Cholula is Cholula. They have, you know, they have one main flavor. They have a couple of riffs on it, but they didn't go into 17 different categories. Right. They stayed yeah. really lean and hardcore. Um on what they were doing. And I think what and, you know, especially in grocery stores, we confuse buyers, we confuse consumers, you know, building those relationships with buyers is an investment, and then all of a sudden, you're in a completely new part of the store. That being said, I do think different channels can handle different products. So for me, the question is, um, you know, am I selling fresh sauce on my direct to consumer channel? Or is there maybe something that I could be selling on my direct to consumer channel that might not be, you know, refrigerated two day shipping. So I'll leave that as like a big question mark for you. (laughs) Um, Okay. Last minute. um, Final thoughts for a founder like me or the people that are listening, you know, what do you want? What do you want me to know or take away that you've had your, that you keep hearing or that your finger is on the pulse of that you think might be helpful for us?
2: Wow. Um, Well, again, this was, this was a really hard year for a lot of people uh, you know, in and out of consumer and CPG Uh, a lot of companies on the other hand had a great year. So um, that's, that's good as well. You know, that people are um, economically stressed, but also, you know, most people still are, alive and therefore have to keep feeding Mm -hmm. themselves and eating and sort of stuff, uh, that sort of stuff. So I would say, um, you know, all all that is to say, hopefully 2021 is a smoother year in many ways. Uh, Hopefully we can focus more on, um, you know, enjoying life and, uh, and exploring and, and trying new things again. Mm -hmm. I would say it's, it's going to be a noisy year, but just keep focused on, on, Building that a really strong relationship with consumers, whether okay. that is through direct sales or just through media, content, community, um, you know, the, you can never go wrong if people love you. And yeah. um, and to me, that's just the you know the the thing that I I spend so much time thinking about the 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 shops and the brands and the restaurants that I really miss. And yeah. sure, it's been fun to kind of keep up with keep up with some of them on Instagram, but I really can't wait to get back to you know, Chicago and Tokyo and Paris and, yeah. and, and, and spend time with these, uh, shops and these restaurants and these brands. So I think a lot of people are feeling that way and, um, just keep, keep that, uh, connection. that connection close and yeah. good things will happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, awesome. Dan, thank you so much. Um, this was such a great sort of finale to the year. Um, thank you. I do want to just mention, you can follow Dan on Twitter and Instagram at Wow. From Dome. From Dome. F-R-O-M-E-D-O-M-E. And at New Consumer. And um, you can always subscribe to the New Consumer online. And a couple of these reports are free. Um, Jess, I want to thank you for um, being with me every Monday. Um, We've been doing this for a while. And we kind of recap our weekends. And we're both like, "Oi," But... I just want to thank you for always being there and not yelling at me when I go over. Um, and everyone who's listening, um, thank you for all of your continued support and listening and sharing this with friends. Um, I'm here to help, so DM me. And I will be back in January with new episodes of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast.